Welcome to the Best Player Wins Podcast. We believe that winning is winning, no matter by how little or by how much. I'm your host back with you, Jake Deemer, and joining me is Jerowin. And coming out of retirement already, quicker than Tom Brady did, is Nate. Nate, welcome back to the podcast. Um, anything to share about your unretirement? No, nothing to share. Uh, this is probably my favorite episode that we've recorded each of the past two seasons. So I was very eager. I wasn't even asked. I actually asked you guys to come on this episode because it happens to be in a nice little sweet spot for me. I'm I'm taking another professional exam for anybody that doesn't know. It's a two-parter. I just finished part one and it perfectly coincided with the start of baseball. So I'm excited to be here. Oh, you love to see it, but we are going to get right into it. I'm not even going to let Jared say anything um, because we have a lot to cover. Uh, we're going to go a much bigger deep dive into the draft uh, this year. Last year and in years past, we've done uh, just our favorite pick and the worst pick. We've done a little bit in depth with strategy, but this year we are just going to go right into it. We are going to grade all the teams uh, and we are going to share our thoughts on the drafts. We're going to look at the good, bad, and the ugly of each team's draft. So we're going to go in draft order. So that means we are starting with JC. Jerowin, since you are the new co-host, I will defer to you to let you go first. All right. So uh, while we're starting off hot, I'm going to I'm gonna do my talking points first and then give the grade at the end. You guys can follow suit with that pattern if you want. Uh, we'll start with the good. I thought his picks of Garrett Whitlock, pretty decent. Uh, Ezekiel Tovar was a good one. Chris Bryant, I remember when he took him, I thought, oh, that's that's a good left fielder. He's pretty good for our format. Uh, Vaughn Grissom, late. I'm trying to look real quick which round he took him in. It's the good 13th. Job. Good so job not like, not, well, I, I, okay. I didn't write down every single detail. I just wrote down names, okay. The thirteenth round, not not bad. Um, he Grissom, we thought he was going to make the major league roster, but he didn't, and now he's. But like, Orlando Arcia, I think is their starting shortstop right now, and like, how long is that going to last? So I think Grissom's a pretty good pick. He's got second base eligibility, a lot of upside. The bad picks, I felt like uh, Charlie Morton was a little early in the sixth. And I'll, I'll preface this. I think I, I was a little biased against pitchers in this draft just because I had I was keeping so many pitchers. So in my head, pitchers were going way earlier than they should have been because I just wasn't prioritizing them. So that off the top, t maybe take my pitcher takes with a grain of salt on this. Uh, I did not like Eugenio Suarez late in the draft it's just a really boring pick for for the 25th round um yandy diaz was another one uh but the ugly and this is i remember watching this and just thinking what on earth is going on uh cronenworth and bell back to back in the fifth round uh taking taking the full time as jc does to to get those picks in uh, back to back, really long reaches. 
I I don't mind Josh Bell as a pick, just not in the fifth round. And or yeah, I'm sorry, fourth and fifth round. Did what did I did I say fifth and sixth? I can't. You said you said uh in the fifth round. So I think you were assuming JC oh, yeah. had they two did picks not, yeah, in they the fifth did not round. Go both <laughs> in the fifth round. Yeah, fourth and fifth round. Jay Cronin with and Josh Bell. I don't mind Josh Bell. He's got good plate discipline for her format, but not as like you're you take him later if you're you're feeling like you want to back up at first base, not as your not as your starter. Uh overall those those picks really dropped my grade for JC. I gave him a D plus. D wow. Oh, we're starting off hot here with it. So he, I feel like to streamline this. I was gonna say I feel like to streamline this, we should save the team grades and we all give them together. Uh, I actually didn't even know that we were doing team grades. I must have missed that in the itinerary. So I'm I'm slacking too, evidently. I'll jump in because I don't have a lot to add. I wrote down a few names for most of my picks. And let me preface by saying that for the ugly, the way it was defined to me is an egregiously bad pick. So I do not have an ugly pick for every team. And I pretty much set a criteria that any pick after round 15 cannot qualify as ugly because that's late enough in the draft that, I don't know, can't really be ugly. But I did have some picks pretty late that that I did classify as bad. For JC's team, the few names that I wrote down is good, and obviously we're excluding keepers from this, or at least I did. Von Grissom in the 13th, like Jerwin said, I would actually argue that him getting sent down was was a positive thing for his draft value in our league. I think that if he didn't get sent down, he probably would have been taken inside the top 10 rounds or by the end of round 10. So, you know, I expect him to come up pretty early in the season. Maybe he has good keeper value for next year, at least decent keeper value. We'll see. Garrett Whitlock in the 14th, Sparp eligibility. He's going to start the year on the IL, but I think he could be decent. Ezekiel Tovar, Jerwin, you again took all of the t- all of the names that I wrote down as as my picks for JC's good picks. He was taken in round 18. For the bad, I have Jake Cronenworth in the fourth round, so I agree on that one. This one, again, is being a little nitpicky. It's a 20th round pick, but Dylan Floro, I feel like that guy could be on waivers. And I told JC probably will be on waivers uh, really early in the season. And then we had the same we had the same pick for the ugly Josh Bell in the fifth round. And I specifically noted that Josh Bell was taken over guys like Luis Robert, Corbin Carroll, and Xander Bogarts, who are three hitters who I would much prefer to Josh Bell. Yeah, I'll keep us moving here. Um, I have Josh Bell as my ugly as well. That was very early. Uh, you guys mentioned all the good picks. I'll add Alex Verdugo just because he's solid in our format. And in the 12th round, if you're going to get a starting outfielder, he's pretty good. Uh, Ezekiel Tobar, like Nate said, uh, anytime you can get a starting Rocky that late, I think that's okay. Uh, bad Jay Cronenworth. Um, I didn't like the Andy Diaz pick either. But I'm not going to reiterate too much because you guys kind of covered everything. My grade was a C plus, and the reasoning was uh, really just those few early picks. Um, those are so fun. those are so important to your foundation of your team. Um, and when you take guys like Josh Bell and Jake Cronenworth that early, you probably could have picked a couple rounds later. That's just kind of sucking the value out of them, uh, even if you think they are good players. Um, the other thing I would say is, uh, while he did a good job 
late with some upside picks. There were also some boring guys mixed in there that I didn't care for. So I, overall, I, I did not a, give my, I was going to say, I did not give my grade. You, you said a C is it what you gave him or C plus. I gave him a C plus. I, I think for JC, I'm going to go, I think I'm going to go a solid B, which is definitely different from you guys because as much as I don't like the Cronenworth and the Josh Bell picks that are still early picks, round four and five, they're early picks. Looking at JC's roster, the only area of weakness that I can pick out coming out of the draft is his bullpen. And I think that that's kind of like a wash in the sense that you only see a few people that are, that particularly focused on drafting relievers or relief eligible players in the draft coming out with strong bullpens. Like, yeah, I don't like Yandy Diaz as his utility, but it's his utility. The rest of his offensive lineup is pretty darn good. His starting his starting rotation is very good. So I'm I'm gonna give JC a B. I could be talked into a B minus just because most of these I felt like I was after I was done grading, I felt like I was too nice. So about I think nine I moved down just across the board, just an entire grade. So I, I could be talked into a B minus because that's I, I, I wasn't prepared for this. So I might end up I might have just set the bar too high for myself and been too friendly, but we'll see as time goes on here. I'll just I'll just be the bad guy on the podcast. I'm okay with that. All right, moving on to the next one, that is Scott. Uh, Nate, we can let you go first here. I think we're going to have Jerwin just go last every time so that he doesn't get to steal our thunder. <laughs> yeah, Scott had uh, some picks that – so Scott was drafting, obviously, right around where I was drafting. I was in the four slot. He was in the two slot. And there were two picks in particular that I was like – darn you like shaking my fist because I really wanted that guy but decided to wait one round two extra and Scott scooped him up which is obviously a tip of my cap to him those picks for me were Hunter Brown in the eighth round and Rizel Iglesias in the 11th round Rizel I know fell a little bit in the week or so leading up to our draft because he has that shoulder strain that is going to open the year on the IL for him but I think Snitker said that they're definitely expecting a minimum stay. And I think people get too freaked out about players that are going to open the season on the IL. The last one that I had for the good pick, I wasn't necessarily going to take him, but I do like his uh, prospects for breaking out this year, almost like Devin Williams-esque, but it's Andres Munoz in the 12th round. So interestingly enough, my good picks for Scott are basically his entire bullpen. The one bad pick that I have noted for Scott is actually the last piece of his bullpen, which is Ryan Presley in the sixth round. And I just think that this is the year that the wheels come off for Ryan Presley. He has had knee issues for like the past two to three years in a row. They already have two good relievers, I guess, setting him up in that bullpen with Rafael Montero, who I, I think that they just gave a pretty big contract extension to this offseason. And Hector Neris, I guess not as good, but still decent. You could even throw Brian Abreu into that mix. I don't hate Ryan Presley. I have him in a dynasty league. I just think that of of all the high end quote unquote closers that could the wheels could come off this year, I think that he's at the top of that list for me. No ugly picks for Scott. I didn't think he made any egregious picks. I'm saving my team great. We're gonna do it all at the end together. <laughs> okay, I also had Munoz. I do think he is the new. Devin Williams as a good pick. 
Um, I also thought he got pretty good value on Nate Lowe, even though I don't really like Nate Lowe, the player. Um, he took him in the 13th round, especially considering guys like Yandy Diaz went ahead of him. Uh, Wilson Contreras is another one I thought he got good value on in the 15th. Um, that is especially true because I thought that uh, he would go around where I took Sean Murphy. This turned out to not be the case. Uh, Yuri Perez, I know he's going to have to wait a long time. I like Yuri Perez, the pitcher. Um, he's going to have to hang on to him. I still think that's a good pick. Um, he might be able to flip him with, uh, if he is competing. And Yuri Perez is very good. I actually had Hunter Brown as a bad pick because he was hurt at the time of the draft. And it was looking like he was going to not be started. He was going to miss at least a start or two. Um, and since he was hurt, I thought that was a little early to spend it, to invest, um, I guess, a relatively higher pick. And someone with he's got he has performance question marks, but now is also going to start the year on the likely on the injured list. Uh, the other one that I had as bad was uh, Tarek Skubal. Um, it was late, but he's not really going to pitch this year, as far as I'm aware. And I don't think he was really good enough last year as to where he could be considered like a top keeper. No ugly picks for me either. All right, go ahead, Jeremy. Uh. Yeah, let me see what I have here. Nothing much to add. I just had a note on like interesting picks late, which I thought was good. Um, the bad picks, I actually didn't like. This is another one. Like Logan Webb in the fourth round was one I put. Not a Logan Webb. It's pretty solid pitcher, but his his strikeout upside is is kind of limited. But I don't know. I had him. I had him lower than some of the pitchers that I think were still available at the time. Um, so again, a grain of salt because I kind of, kind of really lowered pitchers this year uh, personally. But I think the fourth round for Logan Webb is a little bit early. Um, yeah. Do we want to do grades? Yeah. Let's go. your grade, Jaron. Um. I went with an A minus. I thought he did a really good job. It wasn't it wasn't perfect and I don't know. I think he has a really solid team after this. Um but you know, I just could have done a little bit better in my eyes, which, you know, we all can do a little better, you know. I I think I'm going to give him the same grade. Because if I'm basing my grade for JC of a, I, I think I might have originally said B minus for JC and then somehow said a B after that. But if I'm giving JC a B or a B minus based on the fact that his lineup is pretty well rounded, no holes, Scott's lineup is very similar, uh, but actually better because the bullpen is very complete. So I gotta, I think I can get behind an A minus. I gave Scott an A. An A. Uh, I think he did a very good job targeting the right guys at the right time. Um, he didn't have any picks I thought were really egregious. Even his bad picks, like they're not that bad. Um, and I did think he did a good job of kind of taking what came to him in the case of uh, like a Contreras or a low, even though I don't really like either of those guys. There does come a point where they are a value in a draft, and I think that he picked them at that point. Um, so good job, Scott. Uh, he gets an A from me, A minus from you guys. Uh, so good job, Scott. That brings it to my team. Uh, 
you guys can fight about which one goes first. I will uh, go yeah. ahead, Jerwin. Sure. Um, I liked a lot of picks from Jake. I'll fire them off real quick. Uh, Springs in the seventh fought. I'm not going to remember all of the, the rounds. 17 I'm seeing right now. Uh, Schuster and Dodd, I thought those were those were pretty good picks. Really, really a big fan of the, the Springs pick. Sparp eligible, probably the second behind um, Strider in our format, and uh, I think he has a lot of upside this year. The Javier other note I kind of really, took... Well, I just want well, to there. Javier is also relief eligible, so he would is he really? He is not. He is not. Oh, he is not. No. He is on Fantasy Pros, but they're liars. He is not in our league. <laughs> okay, never mind. Forget it. <laughs> Otherwise, um, he would be arguably a top five keeper, which I don't think he's gotten mention of. He would be up there for sure. Um. Yeah, the other notes I said were just overall great upside late, and then really solid hitting and pitching core like three guys on each side that i think uh are, are going to be really solid for you for you all year the bad i wrote tyone a little too early although i don't mind tyone as a pick the the 12th round i think was a little a little early to take him um but he has some interesting stuff going on this spring he could be he could end up being good this year at long last um LeMayhew, kind of just a boring pick. I think he needed I think he just needed a guy at that point in the draft, so I can't can't blame you for it, but DJ LeMayhew is like a a universal utility guy in fantasy, just like he is in in the real world. Uh Murphy, you mentioned because I, I just put him on here because the Contreras brothers lasted so much longer. Um, and then the other, the other bad uh, is the thin reliever core. I I know that reliever can be like picked up over the course of the season, but the first couple weeks where you're kind of like throwing darts on the waiver wire is gonna be is gonna be rough. You'll find someone eventually that's gonna be started startable, I think, because those guys always show up if you're if you're paying attention, but it. It could be dicey to, to start the season. And by thin, uh, non-existent, because I'm still missing two reliever spots as exactly. we get closer <laughs> to opening day. Potentially three if Matt Boyd is hurt. I didn't I didn't see an update on him. I but... don't think he is. He's they pushed they had him pitch a minor league game instead. So well now that a... yeah, now that Jerwin named every single pick that Jade Jake made and categorized it. <laughs> in one of those three buckets i will uh agree with you know some of the selections here i'm not gonna say bregman but i will note that i was going to take him in the third round i actually originally i'll, I'll save it for my team but i originally had a plan which bregman was part of with my draft strategy i'll know i guess why it changed when we get to my team next but the other guy that i was going to take with uh the pick after Jake took him was Jeffrey Springs. I was very disappointed to see Jeffrey Springs go off the board one pick before I took Jeff McNeil, who was a very boring consolation that I didn't really want to draft, but was just so deflated. And 
You just had to pick another guy. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, it just had to take another Jeff. <laughs> I have one of those too. We'll we'll get to it. Yeah. Um, those suck. So so very good pick on Springs. I was excited about the prospect of having both him and Strider in the bullpen, but <clears throat> that speaks to how highly I think of Jeffrey Springs. Agree on the fought pick. He was a guy that I was considering taking in the 17th or the 18th round. Um, I have pretty high expectations for him when he makes it to the major leagues. Kensa Maeda in the 23rd round, I thought that, that was a very good value pick. I don't think that he's going to be vintage 2020 Kensa Maeda, but I think he's going to be very serviceable. For my bad pick, my lone bad pick, I had Sean Murphy. And it's pretty much entirely based on what you two have already shared, which is that Wilson Contreras went four rounds later. It just looks bad in comparison. And then the only ugly pick I had, Jake, was Jamison Tyone in the 12th round. And I agree with what Jaron said. It's not that I hate Jamison Tyone in like the early teens, which you took him a little bit earlier than that. But like I can understand a little bit of a reach, like one or two rounds. But he was your sixth starting pitcher, so he can't make it into your lineup. And you had only had one reliever on your team at that point of the draft. We're factoring in keepers, or at least I was. Um, so for me, like, I understand the importance of starting pitching depth, but just given the fact that, for example, you got Maeda in the 23rd round, it just seemed a little excessive to me. Take your first bench starting pitcher when you'd only had one bullpen piece at that point. A very good one in Springs, don't get me wrong, but but just one at that point. So that would be the only pick that I would say made the ugly cut for me. Yeah, I can get behind that. Tyon, I took too early. I, I definitely agree. Um, for good, Alex Bregman, um, I was really hoping he made it back to me. Uh, third base is priority. I can't really think of a format where Bregman is better than than, uh, than ours either. Uh, I also, I, I had down Patrick Sandoval, mostly because I liked him a lot last year. And I guess not much has changed because it seems like from the spring, the changeup is back. And I got him four rounds later than I did last year. So I was kind of happy about that. Uh, fought, I liked it. I really like fought a lot. Um, I also have Jared Schuster in the 21st. And then I kind of, I guess you could say I handcuffed him with Dylan Dodd with my last pick. Um, I just kind of wanted a piece of that last Braves rotation spot. Uh, as for the bat, I, I don't really have much to add beyond what you guys have said. Sean Murphy, I like Sean Murphy this year. I think he's, I think he might be a breakout catcher, but is considering that the Contreras brothers went so much later than him, and I have them tiered together, that turned out very, very badly. Um, I would have definitely, I would have preferred either of those guys at their price to Sean Murphy when I took him. Uh, Tyon, I like Tyon, but I agreed this is too early. Uh, the only, the ugly pick I had was DJ LeMayhew, and that's because I don't really like DJ LeMayhew. I kind of felt like I needed a utility guy who I could move around a little bit because I wasn't planning on drafting many bench hitters. But it's the guy that I passed up on, and I was like, oh, he'll make it back to me, and I can just take him there. And that's Walker Bueller that made me mad because a Walker Bueller pick there, I can either keep him and he'll probably, even though I'm not crazy about a guy coming off his second Tommy John, he's still pretty good. And I think that the keeper value I would have had with Walker Bueller is better than anything in anything that DJ LeMahieu can realistically give me at this point. So I think the opportunity cost uh, with, with DJ LeMahieu makes that the ugly pick for me. But I think that's also my frustration showing because in a, in a vacuum, DJ LeMahieu is like, not. 
Hey, on the bright side, you got him 13 rounds later than where he went last year. True. That's a discount. He won in the second round last year. <laughs> Jake, let's hear your grade for your team before we give one. I gave myself an A minus, and I'm going to say um, I went back and forth between a B plus and an A minus. I just settled on the higher grade just because um, this draft I was happier with than some of my other ones in the past just because I feel like I got a lot of guys I wanted. I remember last year, Nate, you sniped me on so many picks. I was upset coming out of it. And there's a little bit of an opposite effect this year. There is probably th at least three picks that you snipe me on Bregman, Springs, Fought being the primary three, but yeah, I just like <laughs> I, I feel pretty good about how it how it how it went. Um I don't feel like my team has many glaring holes except you know, reliever where I actually have two literal holes in empty lineup spots. So I can deal with that uh as soon as the Astros and Dodgers get their acts together and put their guys on the I'll I'll go next. Um I would also give you a B plus. I would say if you didn't have Altuve on your bench coming back in I don't know, I guess we're presuming May, I think. That's probably that's the reasonable guess for a timeline for him, right? Uh it's probably more like early June at this point. Okay, I'm still uh just the just the idea that you're going to get another stud in your lineup that already brags Vlad Bregman and Mookie Betts. I think that the, I don't want to say that's the saving grace because I think that the draft probably would have been like a C plus B minus for me if it had not had an Altuve coming back. But I think that that pushes it over the edge to me. Like I've I've always almost to a fault. Like I'll draft to not. I mean, I guess this makes sense when I say it out loud. I don't draft for week one in the in the sense that I think like two years ago, for example, I drafted a shortstop only Marcus Semyon to be my primary second baseman, knowing that I was going to have to play with an empty second base slot in my lineup for the first matchup. So like I kind of slant towards that and having a guy like you decided to keep Jose Altuve. And I think that that was going to be that's a good decision because I think that your team will remain competitive until he comes back. And it'll be that much better for it. So all that to say, um, B plus for me. Yeah, I also went with an A minus. Um, I guess not much to add. Just overall solid draft with a couple picks that that I thought could have been better. And yeah, I think we again like you can always go back and be like, oh, I should have done this better. Oh, I should have done this better. And when you get sniped, you get sniped. So, all right, that takes us to Nate's draft, and I'm going to lead off on this one. We'll have Nate go last since it is his draft. I liked, so let's start with the good. I liked Aaron Nola in the second. I can't believe he dropped there. I don't like how you said that, Jake. I feel like there's a lot of bad coming. Right, let's just start with the good. <laughs> no, there, no, there, this is. I, I liked your draft a lot. Um, Bryce Harper in the fifth for the same reasons you kind of talked about Altuve. I really like that Harper pick. Uh, Volpe in the eighth, I think, is really appropriate for where he should have gone. Um, and I really like Volpe a lot. A kind of a sleeper good pick, though, I think is Tanner Houck. And I know that you don't – you said you don't play for week one, but I believe he gets the Pirates in week one as a spark, which is loads I of think. Fun. I think he, I saw on fan tracks, and it could be wrong, but it has his first two turns being, I think, against the Orioles at home and then at Detroit against the Tigers. Okay, well, that's just that's 
about still pretty good it's pretty good yeah so if if any if nothing else he has a chance to be a very good early season spark for you um Shane Baz I thought was also underrated late um I think we kind of forgot about him but he still carries ace upside even though he has been I really like him as a late rounder now for the for the bad I I am going to leave some names for everybody else but for the bad with regards to the good, not the bad. I only got two. Jeff McNeil, as we said, boring pick. Um, I think he could have had him a little bit later. Uh, he's good in our format, but um, I, again, I just I think he could have picked somebody else there and still gotten him later. The other bad pick I had was Nick Castellanos in the 15th. There was nothing about his season last year that was redeeming. Like, absolutely nothing. He His everything just took an absolute nosedive. I can't tell you whether or not he's going to get back to what he was. And it's just looking at him, I I would love to see him as a potential sleeper, but like there was, it was a collapse, like on the level of like a Christian image. It was terrible last year. I did have one ugly pick and that is Merrill Kelly in the 11th. Just because I liked a lot more guys other than that. And like, be honest with you, I feel like we're going to look at the waiver wire maybe like a month, a few months into the season, and we're going to have at least like three more Merrill Kelly show up. Like that kind of that boring innings eater guy we can just pick up. Um I I think it would have been more appropriate if he was picked later if um like later I guess around where Michaelis was picked. So I thought that was I thought that was too early for but overall, I did really, really like the draft. Erwin, thoughts? Um, yeah, very similar. I'll also mention Colos and Beatty. Colos made uh, the major league team. I don't know if you bragged about that in the group chat yet, Nate. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> you didn't see my who shoots these scores. I thought it was Volpe that she said that about. I'd said it for both. Okay. Pretty much back to back. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Um, and Brett Brady, I know he got sent down, but he doesn't have a huge block with, I think it's a Eduardo Escobar, correct. uh, in, yep. in New York. Um, he should be pretty good. I I've heard his play discipline is pretty good. So he should be pretty good in our format and the 19th round for a third baseman in our, in our league sounds, sounds pretty nice. Um, I also said like really solid picks early. Um, uh, again, setting up a really solid core and uh, really good picks late. Uh, Merrill Kelly, I didn't have in ugly. I just had in bad, but I I could be persuaded. Of of course, Merrill Kelly has a special place in my heart. Uh, he'll be he'll he and Kyle Gibson will be in the team positivity hall of fame forever. But, um, but I agree. He's he, like, he might be good this year, but he's such a boring pick in the 11th round. Um, but yeah, so we'll, we'll let you, uh, let you tell us what your thought process was and, and, uh, get into grades. No, I think I think you guys are pretty spot on about the Merrill Kelly pick. I want to say I, this is really the first time that I'm looking at where I drafted Merrill Kelly relative to, I guess, pitch, starting pitchers that went behind him. There were a lot of 
keeper starting pitchers that went behind him. So it's really hard to de- like kind of decipher who the actual starting pitcher picks were that went after him. Like we talked about Tyone earlier. Um, I know that the rest of the Golden Girls slash Mount Rushmore slash uh, what the hell is the other thing, the Four Horsemen that the CBS podcast talks about, which are Miles Michaelis, Merrill Kelly, Tyler Anderson, and who's the fourth? Do we know? I don't remember. Anyway, they're, they're basically, the idea is basically that these guys are volume pitchers and they're not going to be studs, but especially in points format, volume can be pretty valuable. Just the way that pitchers were going off the board, I felt like, okay, let me grab one of these guys. Like, I only have three starting pitchers at that point in the draft because I plan to use Strider in my bullpen. And then I think it, I, I didn't even look, but I think Nick has him. Michaelis went in what, like the 19th round or something like that. Tyler Anderson, I think, went around like 20 or 21. So, like, yeah, comparative, comparatively, like the Merrill Kelly pick looks very bad considering. He's grouped with those two guys that went eight to ten rounds later. Um, so I can't disagree with that one. I do disagree with the Castellanos pick. And, Jake, I'm actually surprised that you called that a bad pick because if I remember correctly, when Courtney took him with, like, her third or fifth round pick two or whatever it was years ago, I remember you freaking loved that pick. And uh, I don't – you know, you named the two guys Castellanos and McNeil – that I didn't really have any enthusiasm for taking, but I just kind of took based on lineup openings at those respective points of the draft. And I don't even particularly like like Nick Castellanos, but I actually had him as one of my two good picks because I think at the 15th round for options to fill in for Bryce Harper until he comes back, which is hopefully going to be in May, they didn't put him on the 60-day IL, I think his teammate Nick Castellanos hitting with you know in the lineup with Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber in a friendly home ballpark. I felt like that was a pretty, pretty good upside pick at that point. In a, and if it doesn't work out, you know he's just going to be platooning for me until May or June, right? But the other good pick that I had was Trevor Rogers in the 16th round. I I do like him to bounce back. I know he's kind of had an up and down spring. I think last week he had a really good start, and then I think most recently his his uh, velocity was down. So that one's a little bit of a wild card, but I do like taking upside late in the draft. We have obviously talked about that plenty over the past two years when we talk about the draft. There were a lot more picks that I liked, but I just kind of named those two as some practical this year MLB upside guys for bad and this isn't even a bad pick, but I just like hated it because it doesn't feel like a Nate guy. And I'm always about getting a specific kind of profile. And Francisco Lindor with my third round pick, like he was a good pick, but like he's just not my kind of guy. And the strategy that I had written down, like I was ready uh, to execute walking into the draft was I planned to take Freddie Freeman in the first round. Alex Bregman actually in the second round and then George Springer in the third round. So the idea was Freddie Freeman has been a top five hitter for like the past five years straight, if not four of the past five years, Alex Bregman, we've talked about, or I guess Jake hit on third base being a very scarce position. He's amazing in this format. I was kind of surprised to see him ranked so highly in the draft room, but then again, I guess not so surprised because he is awesome in this format. 
So I was planning to just grab him in the second round, like plant my flag, like I'm going to take this guy. And then freaking Aaron Nola falls to me. And it's like, I, I couldn't pass that up just in the, in the name of executing my strategy. So that changed everything. And it left me with a team that I am not familiar with, which makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't think that that means that I had a bad draft. It's just that like, you know, I plan to take five of my eight bench spots being starting pitchers. And I did not do close to that. Um, I didn't plan to draft Lindor. I didn't plan to draft Nola. So it's just a very unfamiliar team. Uh, I did not have any ugly picks. I think that anything that was ugly for me uh, was probably after like the 16th round. Although I don't, I'm not going to harshly disagree with your guys' Merrill Kelly pick. With all that being said, I would grade my team a B. I think I'm going to go a little bit lower than I feel naturally inclined to just because I'm unfamiliar with how the team feels, so I'm just going to be conservative. I'll call it a B. Where would we I go, go next? Okay. Uh, I actually gave you an A. I like to draft... I like to draft a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, so some of the picks like Colos and Beatty that I mentioned, I I really liked. Um, so, oh, Story was another one. I don't know if we mentioned, but Trevor Story very late in the draft, I thought was another good pick. Yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. All right, I gave you an A minus. Let me tell you why. I think you got value up and down the draft. I liked a lot of your picks. Um, you did neglect some depth, but I don't really think that's a problem for you. And I think that your draft actually, whether you planned, you apparently you didn't plan it, but I think it played right into your strengths as a manager. And one of those is being able to execute trades. You have loads and loads of trade bait views. And I'm not saying trade bait in a sense like these players are bad. Like these are good players who are potential keepers. You have we talked about Jerwin's keeper strategy. Uh and for that to work, you need to have plenty of keepers outside of your core. And I think the way you drafted, you drafted so many potential ones that you're gonna end up with a, with plenty to be able to move to fill holes on your team. Um trading is definitely a strength of yours as a manager. You're for sure better at it than I am. And I think you, by drafting a lot of these late picks, you you were able to give yourself guys who are not really hard sells as as trades to either uh, rebuilding teams or even some teams that maybe aren't rebuilding that are just looking to stock up on some keepers. So I gave you an A minus because even though I think your team right now is lacking some depth, this is not your team's final form, and uh, I think it's going to get much better maybe as quickly as like a month or two from now. Thank you, Jake. I really appreciate that high praise. And if I might add something that I like have been thinking about, but haven't been able to think about how to convey it. And I think I just, it just hit me, which is I am not very good at this kind of, I, it's almost like if you play fantasy football, you've heard of the running back dead zone. I'm going to call it the keeper dead zone where you're like in the early to mid rounds where there's guys out there that have upside that you love, but it's like, Oh, if I take him right here, 
I'm drafting him with no room to profit off of him as a potential keeper. And that's what I really struggle with, with guys like Jeff McNeil or guys like Merrill Kelly. Like, yeah, there's like, like I would, ra- I would have rather taken Anthony Volpe in the seventh round than Jeff McNeil. But it's like, if I take Volpe too early, then I leave myself no potential to keep him unless he's a literal superstar. So that's something that I really struggle with. I, yeah, I totally agree on that. Well, actually, we'll we'll touch on that exact idea with a, uh, I think a couple teams actually. But let's, in the interest of keeping us moving, yep. let's move now to Eddie. Um, I'll start off with this one. I think uh, I, I think the good Eddie did good with his with some of his early picks. Um, I liked the Tatis pick. Um, I liked Ozzy Albies, uh, especially with the spring Albies is having. It's maybe I kind of went into this year thinking maybe the power was a fluke, but he's looked. I think he's hit four home runs in the spring already, and he's looked pretty good doing it. At a very shallow position, so I liked that one. Another pick that I was I was kind of upset about. This kind of this actually played into why I didn't draft relievers. Uh, I really liked Nick Martinez, um, and he was part of my relief pitcher plan. Um, and I guess a I sneaky just, pick. Yeah, I I really like him, but I mean I guess Eddie did too. So he took him. Uh, going into the bad, Ross Stripling was picked far too early in the eleventh. I like Ross Stripling. He was also part of that relief pitcher plan that I had, but I was not going to touch him in the eleventh round for sure. Um, I'll say Josh Rojas in the twenty fifth. I mean, it's a twenty fifth round pick, so whatever. But I think you could do better with drafting guys with some higher upside because Josh Rojas is a waiver player, and if you draft somebody who has higher upside, even a prospect who you think is going to maybe even get sent down. You can drop that guy pretty early and just pick up Josh Rojas later, and that's about the worst that's going to happen. Uh, whereas, best-case scenario, you have a guy you can trade for somebody who's better than Josh Rojas. Same deal with Dylan Carlson. He's basically a fourth outfielder at this point. Um, you can't really say too much bad about picks that late, but again, I will stress, I think it is so much better if you go upside late. Uh, no boring players. So I did not like that. Um, the ugly I had was Luis Garcia in the sixth. Uh, I'm not, I was not real crazy about Luis Garcia coming into this year because he's had to change his windup um, due to the Bach issue. But or that's far too early for me in the sixth round, um, even with the way pitchers seemingly were getting moved up. So that's my ugly pick. Um, and that sums up my thoughts on Eddie's team. Nate, we'll yeah, go to you. Let me jump in with some some overlapping thoughts. I broke my rule for ugly with like two teams, and Eddie's was one of them because almost every single pick after round 18 for Eddie, I'm putting in the ugly category, mainly because there is zero upside, and I think that nearly every single one of the players that he drafted after round 18 could be on waivers with the exception of maybe CJ Crone. And you just, we just got done talking about how I took a lot of players that offer me trade pieces as potential keepers to help fill in the holes and build my team throughout the season. Eddie did the complete opposite because no player that he took after round 18 is going to be an attractive keeper option. And I can say that with absolute confidence. Let me read the players that he took. Round 19, Kendall Graveman who is probably going to be in a closer-by-committee situation. Round 20, Mark Vientos. I know that Eddie's kind of a homer and that Vientos is a top-five prospect for the Mets. For fantasy, he's not really considered a top prospect. 
Round 21, Daniel Hudson. Okay, that has a little bit of upside. He could get some saves for the Dodgers, but he's currently injured. CJ Crone was pretty good last year. That's the one pick that I'll say is passable. Brad Keller, nope. Austin Hayes, nope. Josh Rojas, nope. And Dylan Carlson is probably not going to get full-time playing time this year with the Cardinals. So didn't really leave himself any room to profit off of keeper value late. So I'm going to say that his end of draft was ugly. For the bad, I went with Ahmed Rosario in round 13. That, similar to Jake's Tyone pick, was Eddie's first bench bat, which he probably still had half of a lineup to fill at that point. For his good picks, I said Cedric Mullins in the fourth, mainly because of the center field eligibility, not so much because I like Cedric Mullins himself. And Tyler Stevenson in the 14th, I do recognize that the Contreras brothers were still out there at that point, but I think that Stevenson is a decent upside pick at catcher this year, given that they said that they're going to DH him quite a bit. So those are my thoughts for Eddie's team. Yeah, not not too much to add. I will pile on some hatred for Brad Keller. I have scars uh, from Brad Keller. I, I think it was 2019. I was playing Brendan in the playoffs, and I picked him up as a two-star pitcher. Blew up both games, and I lost my my first playoff appearance in, in the keeper era. Sucks. Hate him. Go away forever. Anyways, uh, that was my ugly pick uh his good picks nothing much to add like i agree with jake i think he did a good job early and nick martinez is a nice is a nice pick uh for a sparp the bad i just kind of put like other than his keepers he has a pretty good keeper pool like his actual picks in the draft were just kind of uninspiring to me like there wasn't any picks that i was like oh yeah that's a good pick i could see that everything was like okay I guess you could pick that guy. So, yeah. Jeez, um, cook his ass, Jerry. <laughs> I, I mean, and that could just be personal taste. That could his be wrong. Fir- his, but... his first four picks, I really liked. I thought he had a great start to his draft. I'm so totally I won't take agree. that away from him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can go ahead and, and jump in on my grade. By all means. We can go through... Um, I'll give him, I gave him a C overall. Um, again, great start to the draft. I just think it kind of kind of trailed off from there. I'll go C minus. Well, you guys are, are mean. I went with a B minus. Just I think that he did very well early, but uh, late that just seemingly like crashed and burned. This isn't miss this isn't Mr. Rogers neighborhood where we're handing out smiles to everyone here, Jake. I mean that's true. I I think we do underestimate how important that the very late rounds of the draft can actually be for he gave himself no room to improve, really. That you that's to, a he's yeah. gonna have to be phenomenal on waivers to improve the holes in his team. He gave himself no ammo to do that. Yeah, I, I think I could be convinced. Um any other way so I, I i might change to the c plus but yeah i i don't like that type. it's like it's almost like the opposite of the, the type of draft well i guess it's not the opposite the total opposite of how i like to draft me so just not my thing but let's move on from piling on eddie because if we talk too much more he might not edit this podcast for us <laughs> so let's go to mike no uh, money mike no money mike Newly branded, new, no money, Mike. I think he still has to change his logo, though. 
Yes. Uh, Nate, we'll let you lead off here. Yeah, so for uh, for Broke Boy Mike, I have the good as Dalton Barsho in the eighth round. I actually was surprised to see that he wasn't kept in the keeper expansion draft because I feel like most people should know this at this point, but the Blue Jays who traded for him this offseason are not planning to use him at catcher pretty much at all unless it's an emergency. That is a quote from their manager, which tells me that he should get the everyday playing time of an outfielder and with catcher eligibility in a points league, where volume is an advantage. I think that's going to be very good for Dalton Varsho's fantasy value. So an eighth round pick on him, I thought was really good. Kyle Schwarber in the fourth round, mainly because of the position left field is, is very shallow. Christian Walker in the ninth. I don't play Roto, but I understand that Christian Walker's Roto value last year was nearly identical to Matt Olson. I know that he didn't perform as well as Olson did in points. But if he brings a similar skill set to the table as Matt Olson, getting him four rounds later in the ninth, I think that's a pretty good upside pick. The bad, I have Lucas Giolito. I know that uh, starting pitchers flew off the board in this draft, but and not to pile on more on Eddie, but like picks like Luis Garcia in the sixth round and Lucas Giolito in the fifth round, I, I just couldn't get behind them when there were still so many quality bats on the board at that point. Or even, like, of the relievers that were available. There were still some ace relievers, again, of what was available. So I didn't think that that was a good pick. But no no ugly picks for me from Mike. I don't think that he made any egregiously bad picks. Everyone go ahead. Uh, yeah, I had... Well, I wrote down Malley as a good pick in the 15th round, but then I saw just today that his velocity is still down. So I think I'm going to I'm going to erase that one. Um Yeah, not much to add. I actually have Dalton Varsho as a bad pick. I this might be a hot take from me, but I don't like Dalton Varsho at all in our format. I I look at his his Statcast page. I dig into his Pitcherlist page. Like nothing in there is exciting to me. I think there are just better catches out catchers out there. He's got like, I I mean he performed well last season at a really thin position at catcher. I I am I understand your point that he's gonna if if he's gonna get every day at bats that kind of elevates him a little bit so well think of it this way jerwin if he plays 150 games and he averages two points per game which we are now familiar with that sounds like it's terrible to average two points a game but that would be 300 points if he did that in 150 games now we let's say we get a catcher that averages three points a game which would be phenomenal for the catcher position but they play 100 games. That's probably a little bit light, but let's just say those two catchers are equally as valuable as one another. So that's kind of where I'm getting at with Varsha. Like the, just the sheer volume, I think, is going to make him a good pick. I, I, I can be persuaded by that argument. I, I, you know, I, I, think that's, I think that's a good point. I still don't think he's going to be a great hitter. No, I don't, I don't either, to, be, to yeah. be fair. I agree with you that I don't think that he's actually a good hitter. The volume argument at catcher, I, I can see that for sure. Um, I put Ellie De La Cruz here. This is a weird, 
this is a weird one. I put him there because I know Brian Dela Cruz was still on the board because I got him. What was it? I got him the next round in round 18. And they they share the same. La- is it a last name when it's three? De yes, La it's, Cruz? Still, it's, still <laughs> it's still last name. That is possible. <laughs> they have the same last name, but Brian De La Cruz has already played in the majors, and there's still a chance that he could start the season. And he looked good last September. I just I don't know why you're going for the unproven De La Cruz when, when Brian was was still there. So this I is your bad picks, there. right? Yeah. Did you say you're good yet? I think you jumped in with Varsho. My good pick was. Tyler Malley, and then I took it back. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I think I also had Kopech, but I kind of take that back too. He hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't looked like he was, he was supposed to be better after the knee surgery, but he hasn't looked like that in the spring so far. So this is exactly just... like that gif that I sent in the group chat with the old man <laughs> fishing a dollar. He's like, oh, yeah. he almost had it. You just keep taking away the good picks for Mike. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Mike. I just, eh. um, I had Cheerio as an ugly pick. I don't think he's supposed to be up this year. No, not supposed I, to be. Not supposed to be. This is feels it impossible. Like, no, but not supposed to be. This feels like Jack Lighter two point That's why I have it in the ugly ugly category. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna come off of mute and jump in. Um, cause I was, <laughs> I muted myself cause I was laughing so hard, but, uh, <laughs> for the good, I, Kyle Schwarber, um, I added Clayton Kershaw in there just because, uh, he's good on a burning basis. And I think this is one of the latest he's ever gone in our league. So good value there. Christian Walker is also good. Another guy who was in my relief pitcher plan who I didn't get, uh, Yusei Kikuchi. Um, I don't think he's going to turn into an ace, but he's, He's got a lot of whiffs this spring, and that has to count for something so late. Got him in the 22nd. For the bad, Lucas Giolito, for the same reason that Nate said. Um, I kind of like the Lucas Giolito bounce back to an extent, but like the velocity is just a tick or two below where I would want it. And uh, this, you're, you're drafting him at his ceiling here, and you're not really leaving yourself much room for profit. And we've seen last year, Lucas Giolito has a huge, has huge downside. Uh, Kopech is another one I had as a bad pick just because um, I'm just so over Michael Kopech being a thing at this point. Uh, we've been waiting forever, and it has not looked any better at any point. Um, another another bad pick I had was uh, C.J. Abrams. There's just a lot that needs to happen for C.J. Abrams to be a good player in fantasy, um, and he plays for a bad team. So the lineup context there is not great. Um, I will break the tie on Dalton Varsha, though. I had him as a as a good pick, despite the fact that his stat cast page looks like a Smurf. Um, it, it, like Nate said, I think he's just going to kind of volume his way to success. But I wouldn't be surprised if he if he struggles against lefties again, if that starts to be a problem and that impacts the volume. But still, a, a he's a catcher, so. All right, I did not have any ugly picks, so let's go to grades. Erwin, would you like to give yours first? After like scratching all my good picks, I I bumped him down to a D plus with oh with uh JC. So sorry, Mike. I just wasn't a fan. I, I'll also say Alex Lang was one I forgot to mention. I didn't 
I do not like Alex Lang. He he looks like a worse version of Gregory Soto. And, but Gregory and, Soto is like a top keeper. <laughs> Why would that be a bad thing? Uh, well, when you say it that way, but <laughs> no, I uh, he he's he's one of those closers that I just don't don't want. I would much rather like take someone else. <laughs> All right, For Nate, my grade, ahead. I was going to say, I'm kind of stuck between a C plus and a B minus, and Mike's probably going to be surprised to hear that because he texted me something like, I looked at your team, you have more prospects than me. And of course, at the time, he was looking at guys like Oscar Colas and Anthony Volpe. Well, the difference is that Mike has like three true prospects that we don't even know if they're going to be up this year in Ellie De La Cruz, Jackson Churio, and Bobby Miller. So those are just like three roster spots that there's a decent chance that he just has to eat those if he doesn't drop those players. And then there are a lot of players that I like in theory, not even in theory, but like, I like them. But when you stack them all together, like O'Neill Cruz, I really like him, but there is significant downside. Michael Harris is the same way. Hunter Green is the same way. I would say maybe the opposite with Jack Flaherty and Lucas Giolito, like they have, significant upside but i think the more likely outcome is probably showing a bit more of their downside so all this to say like there is a ton of upside on his team but to kind of parlay it that way where you're like kind of betting on like seven of these guys to work out it's just a little risky so i think i'm i think i'm gonna land on a c plus i have the same grade as you nate um, I, would, I did want to add on C.J. Abrams, I believe, is his starting second baseman, which is I, there were a lot of opportunities, I think, to address the position earlier that he kind of passed on, even with somebody like, like I would have felt comfortable with Brandon Lau there more than C.J. Abrams. And I think that would have and you have plenty of opportunities to take him. Um, not I mean, you don't have to lock in on Brandon Lau or anything, but like there's plenty of guys in that range who were available and could have taken any one of them. I think you mentioned a kind of a key thing about prospects is for me, I'm okay with prospects being taken, but the key here is they have to stand a chance of being up this year and it has to be pretty good because I do not want to just eat a roster spot because what's you, what will happen most likely is I will drop the player because nobody will want to trade for them and somebody else, if there is a benefit for anybody, it's not going to be me. So I'm just going to be doing all of the bad. I'm going to, I'm gonna have, I'm just gonna eat all the negative, and somebody else is going to either benefit or it, it's just not gonna be me. There's just not a whole lot of upside here. So I landed on a C plus um, for that reason and the the hole at second base. Um, so. All right, that brings us to the person that we really liked with his keeper pool. That's Brendan. Um, I will lead us off here. So the good, he got American hero Trey Turner in the first. I just wanted to mention that because we appreciate what Trey Turner has done for this country in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Tristan Casas, I liked him in the eighth. He's very good for our format. Um, he is a uh, walks machine, and I think he is better than he showed last year with regards to the strikeouts. Uh, another one I liked was Sean Manaya. Um, I know he's coming in with a velocity bump and really i was out on shamanaya coming into this year but he pulled me back in because that is interesting to me and he plays for the giants who i know are good with veteran pitchers 
Um, so that was something that I was that I'd be willing to take the plunge on there. And I think where he drafted him in the 14th is actually more appropriate to where I probably should have drafted Tyon. Um, not in that round because I had a keeper, but in that range. Uh, as for the bad, I have I am so out on Kyle Wright this year. He's already dealing with shoulder injuries, and I think he kind of overperformed last year. Combine that with the fact that Brendan already has two pitchers that we that aren't going to start the year on his team because they are both hurt. And I don't know why you take another injured player in the sixth round, especially ahead of some other pitchers that I like better. Uh, for the ugly, we already kind of mentioned this. It's his rounds 22 through 26. Um, I think that similar to Eddie, he didn't leave himself any upside here at all. Like some of the, the players that he drafted are ancient. Like, there is just nothing like there's nothing to be excited about. You could find him playing pickleball at the local retirement home. <laughs> exactly. There, there's like Michael Brantley could be interesting if he's healthy. He's on the injured list to begin the year, and everyone else is just yuck. And it's old, very old, very old. It's too old. Yes. Yeah, so there's like there, there is, there's like negative upside to be found here. They're so ancient, and. You're just, it's similar to what we talked about with Eddie, where you're just not leaving yourself any ammo to get better. And like for Brennan's team, especially, he needs guys where he can fill holes because, or especially early in the year, his guys aren't healthy yet. And that's going to be a problem. Uh, and when, and like when you have a good keeper pool like this, you, you know, you'd like to take advantage of it with some more late guys because I think the way that Brendan now has to improve, sadly, is trading from that keeper pool because I don't see many, and that doesn't seem sustainable uh, for long-term success like we talked about last episode. And I just, I, I was not a fan like at all. I was, I was sad. Not for, not for my draft prospects because he didn't take my guys, but, you know. I didn't touch on Brendan's end of draft the way that I did Eddie's, but I will add to your point, which is that even if these guys work out and they provide pretty good value, like JD Martinez is a pretty good pick in a vacuum by himself in the 21st round DH for the Dodgers. But then Carlos Santana, Michael Brantley, Charlie Blackman, Adam Wainwright, even if those guys return some value this year, like there's no chance they have keeper value because you're not banking on them and they're age 37, 38, 42 in an Adam Wainwright's case season to be a good keeper. Like, no chance. Uh, I guess I'll just jump in there. My good picks, I did have Kyle Wright as a good pick, so that's interesting, Jake, that you think that he was a bad pick. I think similar to me touching on Rizal Iglesias for Scott earlier, same team, actually, same injury, which is a shoulder problem. I think that these guys tend to get pushed down a little bit where a Kyle Wright, if there were no injury concerns, which, you know, I'm kind of throwing it out the window, which may not be fair, but he'd probably go in round four or earlier, I think, if he was fully healthy coming into the year. So, you know, if I'm Brendan, I'll take that one or two round discount. Luis Robert was my other good pick. Really just any center fielder that went in rounds like late three through early six. Because I just think center field is one of those really touchy positions. Unfortunately, I couldn't work it into my draft, but I liked all the picks for those that were able to. 
I had no bad picks for his team, but that's because I had one ugly pick, and I am planting the flag on this one. This year's Adalberto Mondesi pick was Jazz Chisholm in the third round. Now, obviously, Jazz Chisholm, as a ball player, has much greater upside than Adalberto Mondesi ever has. But one, he can't stay healthy. And two, he needs to be perfect in realizing his upside to be valuable in our specific scoring format. So Adalberto Mondesi 2022 is going to be Jazz Chisholm 2023 for purposes of our league and our draft. And he was taken by Brendan in the third round. Yeah, I had I had Jazz as a as a bad pick, but I, I could be persuaded as an ugly pick. I I can see it being justified because second base is so thin and he's kind of like the last ditch effort if you're banking on like the kind of upside he can offer. But I agree the, the third round was, was too well, early. Ozzy, for Ozzy me. went in the very next round. Albies yeah. was in the third round also. Fourth. I don't know. It was the third because I was going to take Alves in the third if he was there. Someone oh, took him before. I'm me. wrong. I'm wrong. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. And yeah, I guess if, I guess that Jazz means that before, he wasn't there. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. If Jazz went before <laughs> Alves, that would have been that would have been a sit for sure. <laughs> but no. Um. Uh. I will add. I will add a couple picks that I liked. Uh, Jason Adam, he was one of the guys with like um, Munoz as like a like a second tier, like good SP two to have with like a lot of upside. Um, I thought that was a really good pick. Andrew Painter late uh, in the 18th round, um, a little risky because I don't know that we like. I don't think he's getting Tommy John, but it's. Uh, it's a little sketch uh, with his elbow, but a, a good dart throw. And then Jordan Lawler, I think, is supposed to be, ha- has potential to be up this year, I think. I thought that was a decent pick. Um, but yeah, I I agree with, uh, with everything else you guys said. Um, and, and the last thing I'll add about the ugly is that, like, to further... He, he has to stream three pitchers in the first week, like, and, and potentially beyond that. So that's, you just don't want to be in that situation. I know you don't have to draft for week one, like Nate said, but there's a difference between drafting for week one and then like just tanking your week one entirely. I just want to call out. You guys can't see because we're on video, but when when Jerwin said that Jordan Lawler could be up this year, Jake made a visual. Eh. Pretty funny. Yeah, he was uh, he was not on my list of prospects I would have taken. Just, I guess I don't He's know. My... He, maybe, but I did not have <laughs> strong feelings toward Jordan Lawler. He's he's definitely on the lighter side. I I probably have a soft spot because he's on my dynasty team. But, um, the the news I saw on him was could be up mid twenty twenty three. So that was why he was on my radar. Um, this feels like a situation where Brendan might have to drop him to pick up. Well, I guess I shouldn't even say that because he has like a thousand old guys that he could drop first. 
for these starting pitchers. But I mean, that, that that was actually like not to cut you off, but we we got to get to grades. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to do a better job of pacing, and we're already way way over time what I thought we were gonna do. But anyways, um, grades. Uh, yeah, the old guys. Um, I think neglected pitching depth. Even like if you just take boring old pitchers there besides Adam Wainwright who's all who's you know is hurt and can't help you like if you uh, one defensible thing he might have gone on auto on auto pick here at this point so but even still like these picks are important maybe like set your cue to only pick pitchers or something I don't know like you need bodies here and um like anything I think would have been better than what he ended up with so this could be a case of uh, Fantrax auto pick strikes again because we all know that it's probably the worst auto pick out of all auto picks. Um, but even still, I gave Brandon a D plus. Yeah, I'll jump in very quickly. Given context of him having one of the very best keeper pools coming into the draft, I think he did a very poor job capitalizing. I give Brandon a D. Wow, I did not expect to be the high guy. I gave him a C minus. Did not expect to be the nice one on this. Especially considering he's your arch rival. Yeah, F. <laughs> I changed. I changed my mind. Okay, that brings us to Jerowin's team. Uh, Jerowin, you will go last. We don't want your thoughts on your own team. Uh, Alberto Mondesi. <laughs> yes. So I will go first. Um, that's for the good. Uh, I think that Edwin Diaz injury kind of affected the entire draft because I think that people looked at relievers with class A being kept and was like, ah, I don't really want to be the first one to take a good reliever because there is no way that Josh Hader lasting until the sixth, I feel like would have happened in other years, even if he like guys in his tier go a lot earlier. Um, so I think the fact that Diaz got hurt kind of torpedoed the top of the top end of the uh, relief pitcher market and you were able to capitalize not once but twice because I think the Felix Batista in the eighth is another really good pick. Um very big fan of Batista. I am still a Cattell Marte stand. So I appreciate the 10th round pick of Cattell Marte. Still really like him. And he drafted two pitchers in particular. I'm not going to keep naming I'm not I'm not going to name everybody, but uh Hayden Westneski and Graham Ashcraft. I'm very high on both of them as late round pick picks. Um as for the bad, I did not like the MJ Melendez pick, um, especially considering where other catchers went. I get that he has higher, like some higher upside, but just not a fan. Um, and then Alex Kirilov, who might not even have like a wrist by the end of this podcast, at the rate that we're going. <laughs> they just keep shaving um, it down. They, they, they just keep shaving it down. It's like this is at this point, it's a chronic injury, and I need to see it. I need to see him perform to believe it. Even then, I might not because um, Nate, you're kind of uh, because uh, like I I can't trust him to stay healthy, let alone perform well. Um, so I did not like Kirilov there. No ugly picks for me though. Um, yeah. sorry, I was just imagining Alex Kirilov like having like half of an arm because they just they just keep shaving it. Maybe eventually, if you can keep him until the end of like his three year period, they'll just give him like a winter soldier arm and that'll just solve it. It's just a they, they need they, he needs one. He needs one. He's just going to have to play through the injury if he wants to have a career at this point. 
for real. For, for Jerwin, I had uh, Hader is one of my good picks. Very good pick. George Springer in the third round, mostly because I was jealous, because that's who I originally planned to take in the third round. But it felt like I, I couldn't. I was mad about that. Uh, Ashcraft, I loved that pick in the 23rd round. I was actually planning to take him with my very last pick of the draft, and I guess I was pretty foolish for thinking that nobody else would be on him. My bad picks, uh, these are actually all players that I like, but I just thought that you took them too early. Gunnar Henderson in the 5th, MJ Melendez in the 7th, Lars Newbar in the ninth. I had no ugly picks for your team. I, I, I appreciate it. Um... I will add, I kind of like Gore uh, in the 20th round. I know he's had such an up-and-down career, but, you know, I was the original Gore stand, so I'll stand stand up for my guy. Um, I think you're just picking with your heart there. A little bit, but he's looked he's looked decent at this spring um, from, from the news I've seen. Um, I will... I'll defend MJ Melendez probably a little early given how catcher ended up going, but I, I think he has a similar case to um, Varsho in, in getting more volume than some catchers because even last year uh, they were willing to play him in the outfield at DH um, and and filling in for Perez at catcher, so he's gonna get he's gonna get playing time. So I still like him as a pick, though I can understand why that might be early. I actually agree with the Gunnar Henderson pick. I don't even know what was going through my head. I was deciding between him and um, Corbin Carroll at the time. I I can't remember why I picked Gunnar Henderson instead. Like I think he was. He was, I don't know what would have possessed you to pick him over Corbin Carroll either. I don't know. <laughs> he, he was like higher in my in my rankings for whatever reason, but I like. Yeah, I mean, I like Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, I I don't mind him as a pick. I just think Corbin Carroll would have been a better pick, left field eligible, and I could have easily gotten like. A Tim Anderson or something like that at shortstop instead. Could have gotten Jordan Walker three rounds later. Yeah, like, I guess you know you're you're playing him at shortstop. So yeah, I'm playing him at shortstop. Got it, got it. Never mind. Um, you could have gotten Anthony Volpe three rounds later. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Again, I don't. I, I like I don't hate Anderson. the pick. He, yeah. I think he could be good this year still, but uh, should have taken should have taken the other guy I was deciding on. Um. And I will also agree with Lars Newtbar for the, for this reason. We'll get to it. I should have taken Drew Rasmussen this round because I thought he was going to make it to me in the 10th. I should have taken Rasmussen, and then maybe Newtbar would have still been there for my 10th round pick instead of getting sniped for Rasmussen. And then I ended up having to take Cattell Marte, which... Jake likes. But... Hey, you watch your tone there. <laughs> Jake likes, but that was that was my pick where I was like, ah, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, what do you yeah. grade your team, Jerry? I I gave my team also an A. Um, I I just I mean I had the best draft I've ever had in this in this league because I actually prepared, so that felt great. It's a very complete team. I give it a B plus. 
I also went with an A minus. Um, well, I guess I should say I just went with an A minus. Uh, I'm not going to elaborate too much, though. Um, good job, Jerwin. You're getting you're getting Nate's official risky pitching staff label that Jordan got last year. Yeah, yeah. All right, that'll take us to our league newcomer, which is Nick Lee. Nate, do you want to lead us off here? Absolutely. For Nick Lee, there were two picks that I quite liked. One was Corbin Carroll in the fifth round. The other is a guy that I just can't quit. Um, I didn't get him in this league, but Pablo Lopez in the tenth round, I, I fancied that pick. I probably would have picked him in the 11th round instead of Merrill Kelly if he was there. So, good pick, Nick Lee. The bad, I picked Scott Barlow in the 12th round, which, let me pull up the by-round draft board here, but I believe that Nick Lee took Scott Barlow before, and this is not even trying to pump up my guy, because I'll give another example too, but I got Kenley Jansen a few picks later. Scott got Andres Munoz two picks after I took Kenley Jansen. Alexis Diaz went in the next round. Evan Phillips, even, who's kind of a spec. Yo, Yoan Duran, who Jordan took at the end of the very end, next round after that. These are just all guys that I would very much prefer to Scott Barlow. He just seems like a very boring pick to me, and I just don't know. He's on the Royals. I don't even know if he has the job because they brought in a Roldis Chapman who is a guy that literally left New York Yankees because he wasn't the closer. I can't imagine he signs in Kansas City to not be the closer, but I'll stop harping on that pick. My pick for the ugly was Carlos Correa because Nick Lee could have taken him in the keeper expansion four rounds later as a keeper in the seventh round. So I didn't really understand the third round pick of Carlos Correa. All right, I'll jump in here. I agree with the Carlos Correa pick. I think that was entirely too early. Um, other than that, I had Corbin Carroll was a really good pick in the fifth. Um, really liked him. Should have gone ahead of Gunnar Henderson. But uh, I liked Pablo Lopez as well. Um, Pablo Lopez is especially interesting um, because of that velocity jump, which is might have just been, you know, hyped for the World Baseball Classic, but if it isn't, uh, we saw him reach a new gear last year, and the velocity will certainly help. Uh, AJ Minter in the 16th, um, I liked just because he's going to be the Braves closer to start the year, and he was pitching all the time last year. Uh, he's, I think he's kind of the poster child for volume when it comes to relievers, at least in high leverage situations. Uh, the other bad I had was uh, Rowdy Telez in the sixth. Um, that felt too early considering um, especially like Nate Lot, Nate Lowe went, uh, what was it, like six rounds later? I would prefer, I mean, they're they're pretty close, but like they're definitely not six rounds apart. Um, there were some other first basemen too that I would have preferred to Telez that went later. Uh, so that was another one I thought was pretty early. I guess I could add the, the, the last three picks. Um, for the same reason I've been harping on everybody else, Rikidi, Segura, Stroman. Um, this is not as egregious as some of the other late-round picks, but again, like those are probably favorite players, if we're being honest. Yeah, not much to add from my side. I also didn't like the Freddie Peralta pick in the ninth. 
Um, I believe that's the round he was keeper eligible. Um, Thank you. Um, he has concerns with the shoulder and stuff, and um, I I know Nick Pollock at at pitcher list is is not very high on him this season. I would I don't mind taking a flyer on him maybe later in the draft. He could you know he's been good in the past. He could get back to that if he stays healthy. But I think the ninth round was just a little too early for that. But yeah, um, I'll just I I'll add Cody Bellinger to the list you had. I'm I'm kind of. I, I think he's just a boring pick now. I don't even know if he's he's an upside pick anymore at this point. It's fine. I hate Cody Bellinger nowadays too, but he's a former MVP. And when we say former, like three years ago MVP, you know, he's still young. Fine. If he if he undoes all the stuff that he did to yeah, screw himself changed. up, he then, changed too then much. maybe. He ruined yeah. his career. I don't know. We need we need him to retrace his steps on what he changed and just you know, undo all of that. But sorry, go ahead. I think we're at grades. Um, if I was under the gun giving Nick Lee's team a grade, I want to say, and and this is really, like, I think that Nick Lee is a very smart guy just by listening to him on the podcast last year, not having any insight into our league besides maybe what Jordan had shared with him. So I think he's a smart guy. I think he's going to figure it out rather quickly. But you could definitely tell that his lack of experience for our scoring format and how our league has been the past number of years showed in this draft. Because of that, I think he's one of the weaker teams. I give him a C minus. I was well also, yeah, I was also a C minus. Um, yeah, not much else to add. I went C plus um, just because I don't think that there's, I think the roster overall is fairly well-rounded. Like, there's not glaring holes, but there's also not many strengths. It's just kind of, you know, like, middle of the road. So I thought that was appropriate with the with the grade I gave him. All right, going on to, we're now within, we're now almost done. We got three, and I say almost because, you know, there's only three left, but we'll see how long this takes us to go through. It takes us to Sam. Um, I'll start with the good. Uh, I liked Blake Snell in the eighth. He was kind of, he was the last of that tier of pitchers that I had, and I thought that he actually went like around later than um, the rest of the guys did. So I thought he got a value there. Uh, I liked Jerasmussen, but I'll let Jerwin complain about why he didn't get him and Sam took him instead. Uh, Anthony Rendon was a little early, but third base is so bad that um, I was okay with it. Uh, then Tyler Anderson, he is boring, but he was a solid volume guy last year and you got him late enough that that's like whatever as for the bad edwin diaz in the 14th and it's not that i don't like edwin diaz it's more um if you're going to take an injured player why didn't you just take walker Miller instead because i think he's the more impactful of the two and i'm i'm sure that you're with those injured players you're probably looking it's like 50 50 whether you would want to trade them or keep them yourself uh, kind of depending on how it pan out. And I'm pretty sure that other people would also view Walker Bueller as more uh, more valuable. So I, I'm not sure why you would take uh, Edwin Diaz there. Could have just taken Bueller instead. Uh, Cal Quantrill, I, I've i never had an explanation as to why he's a good pitcher or why he's been an okay pitcher. I shouldn't say good. But uh, I still don't, and he's like the arch-boring pick. And then like Mark Canna, I actually – don't even know like I forgot 
what team he was on, to be perfectly honest with you. And I don't even I don't even know if he's like still around. Uh, he was so far off my radar. Uh, I didn't have any other picks though. So I, I agree with the I agree with the Tyler Anderson pick, uh, especially when compared to my stupid Merrill Kelly pick ten rounds ago. Anthony Rendon is an eight guy. I liked that pick in the twelfth round. Max Muncy is not necessarily a Nate guy, but has the profile of a Nate guy. And I believe he has second and third base eligibility in our league. So I liked that pick in the seventh round. Did not have a particularly bad pick for him, but I did classify Edwin Diaz in the 14th round as ugly because if Edwin Diaz has any struggles next year coming back from injury, not so much in the fact that he can't get healthy, but it just takes him a while to find his rhythm he just doesn't have that great overall of a year he's definitely not or he's not the edwin diaz that we have come to know over the past few years i think then you have people questioning is he even worth it to keep in the eighth round the year following so i think he was taken at a point where the risk is that if he doesn't if he doesn't prove it next year in his first year being kept he might just exhaust his own keeper eligibility because nobody is sold on keeping him for that second year and giving a relief pitcher a chance to bounce back inside the top 10 rounds. So just way too early, I think, for Edwin Diaz. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and complain about Rasmussen being stolen out from under me. I He, he was one of the guys who I was like, I have to get this guy in this draft. And I should have taken him earlier, like I said, and and I should have known with how pitching was getting was getting pushed up so high in the draft that like I needed to be on higher alert. I took Newt Bar, I think because he just had a higher ADP than Rasmussen, but you know in the ninth and tenth round, like if you've got a guy that you really, really want, ADP's not not that big of a deal to to take a big reach on. So I really re- regret that. But Rasmussen, great pick. I every time I like looked at him, like took a look at my rankings again, and I, I just kept moving him up all all leading up to the draft. So really, really great pick. Um yeah, another bad pick that you guys didn't mention. I had Reese Hoskins. I know it's the last pick of the draft, so it's not terrible, but I don't know. I he's not like that special to where he's he's gonna get like a lot in a trade, I think. He might be a good like throw in if you're if you're trying to get rid of him, but he's he's just gonna be out for the year and um yeah, I don't want to ruin Sam's potential trade value on him, but he seems like the perfect guy for the keeper expansion draft. Like, not good enough to crack your top five, but yeah. like somebody that you're like, hey, he's pretty I good. I'll take well. him in the yeah. keeper expansion draft. Yeah, I think I'm that's glad a good you said it. I wasn't going to, but yeah, that's, that's <laughs> that was my first thought too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, overall, though. I, I didn't really hate his draft much, so I'll I'll get us started with grades. I gave him uh, a B plus. I think he did a, a pretty good job overall. I give him a B. 
I also gave him a B, you know, solid draft. That's uh, I think held back a bit by drafting some injured guys who are quad A keepers, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Good way to put it. All right, so that takes us to the consensus worst keeper pool, which is Gordon kept that that uh that bum Alec Manoa in the second round. Uh, I'll I guess I'll just start us again. Uh, Jordan Walker, I liked the pick in the eighth, but, um, and I liked it even more because Jordan Walker got him. Uh, Kodai Senga, I thought that was another good pick in the twelfth. Yohan Duran, um, I think we already kind of touched on him. I think he was I think he was much better than a lot of the relievers that went around him, so he got a value there. I'm a big Pete Fairbanks guy. Um, I think he's going to be good this year. Uh, I don't think the Rays will treat him as they traditionally treat relievers because they signed him to an extension, so they don't have to worry about the saves driving up his arbitration costs. But he's a good reliever anyways. But one guy that I was actually upset I didn't get was Brendan Donovan. Um, I kind of really wanted him just because he's like the ultimate uh, Swiss Army knife guy. He's eligible everywhere except for catcher. And um, that's just really handy to have around like Swiss Army knife. So... Um, I think for him, like he wasn't that good last year. So the the thing though is, I believe he's been adding power this spring, and it's that was kind of the missing piece because his plate discipline is pretty good. So if he can add that and be eligible everywhere, like sign me up for that guy. Uh, so I was kind of I was bummed I did not get him. Uh, another guy I was upset about was Clark Schmidt. I am high on him coming into the year. This is yet another reliever who I wanted to factor into my relief pitcher plans. So who just it just didn't happen. Uh, and then William Contreras in the 20th after I drafted Sean Murphy in the same tier 11 rounds later, 11 rounds, no, not 11 rounds, nine rounds earlier. Did not like to see that from my perspective. The bad for me, even though he's he's pretty good in this format, for the most part, Brandon Nimmo, um, I believe he's already dealing with injuries. And I thought that was a little early for maybe like a floor first type player in the seventh. Um, Jordan Montgomery is another like math guy for me. And then that was a little too early for me in the 10th. I know he's a, he's a Jordan guy, but that's just not my thing. And then Gibson and Waka are the guys that Brandon should be able to pick. should have been able to pick up on waivers to replace his injured players because they should be on waivers. So I did not like those picks either, but I do not have any ugly picks for Jordan. I did not think he did anything egregious. I, I can jump in again if you'd like, Jerwin. I keep I keep going second. So if you want to go second, you let me know on, on Nick. Uh, I actually have Brandon Nimmo as a good pick, but I'm probably speaking from the perspective of I didn't have a center fielder at that point. Nimmo is like the last decent center fielder that was left on the board. And I was like, ah, shoot. Now I just got a freaking punt center field and ended up taking Colas like nine rounds later or whatever it was. But so I thought maybe that maybe that's my bias speaking as a guy who needed center field. I thought that was a fine pick. Jordan Walker, what's not to like about him in the eighth round? Already mentioned Yoan Duran, who I thought was a good pick in the thirteenth round. I think there's plenty of upside there as a bullpen piece. Clark Schmidt, Jake mentioned, and I knew that you were gonna say it because you've been talking about targeting Sparps for this entire podcast so far. He is like the Yankees number three starter all of a sudden. Frankie Montas got hurt, Luis Severino got hurt, Carlos Rodon got hurt. So now, all of a sudden, it's Garrett Cole, uh, second starter that I can't think of at the, off the top of my head. Nestor Cortez. Nestor Cortez, who's on my freaking team. <clears throat> and Clark Schmidt is literally their number three starter now. 
with that handy dandy RP eligibility. So good for Jordan. That was a good pick in the 19th round. Bad pick. I'm gonna get booed for this one. I actually like him very much as a player, but much too early for a guy as unproven. Vinny P, baby, in the fourth round. Uh I knew he was gonna go early. I just didn't know who it was going to be too. I was very Again, similar to Bregman, surprised at how highly he was slotted into our draft room. Like, not surprised because he is a plate discipline guy, much like Bregman. But I just feel like he hasn't been ranked that highly in redraft format anywhere on the internet. And so, yeah, I mean, I like Vinny P very much. I think that you're drafting him at what you hope to be, you know, his delivered ceiling here. So, just, and, and, to use a, a phrase from Jake, not much room for profit there. Jordan was the other guy that I broke my own rule on for an ugly pick. Jordan's my rival, so I get to pick on him a little bit. His ugly pick was Tyler O'Neill in the 16th round. That guy belongs on waivers in our format. He is never going to be started for more than five matchups on anybody's team unless their team is absolutely decimated or they have already decided to tank for the season. That guy is never going to be a consistent starter on a competitive team. In our league. Yeah, uh, I actually had Vinny P as a good pick. I can see the case that like the fourth round is a little early. I was if I didn't in in my draft planning, I was hoping to get him in like the fifth. If I if like Pete Alonso didn't fall to me or something like that. If like Pete Alonso or Goldschmidt weren't weren't available in the second he he was my guy to target at, at second base. Um, yeah, I agree. Because fourth first round maybe a little early. What about like Jose Abreu for the Houston Astros in the sixth round? Like, are we sure Vinny P is going to be better than him? This I guess year? we're not. I guess we're not sure. I I don't know. I was just really high on him. I was too. Uh, I actually think Jose Abreu lasted too long. Right. I agree. Yeah. Abreu did go too late, I think. Sorry, he actually went in the seventh round. Yeah. I guess I'm already spoiling a good pick from Nick's team. Keep, <laughs> keep going, Jerwin. Um, Pepio, I think, was another pick. He's won the job, um, the fifth starter job. He might not keep it all year long or deep into the year because uh, Gonsolin should be back. But... Uh, I think he's got a lot of upside, and um, the Dodgers are well known for fixing pitchers, and and his problem is control. So, um, I I think they could could do a good job and turn him into a real fantasy asset. Um, and I don't think I had any. Oh, I thought Robbie Ray went too early in the third round. That. Again, might just be another like I don't think pitcher should have been pushed up that high, but everyone kind of did it. So, yeah. Um, oh, that's good. Great. Oh, yeah. sorry, I thought you were done. <laughs> no, no, no. I can be done. We, we, we should get going. Uh, okay. I gave him a B plus. I thought he had a, a good draft, especially considering the keeper pool that he was working with. I guess taking context into account, that is a fair statement because I bumped Brendan's team down pretty hard based on the context of his keeper pool. I was originally on like a C minus for Jordan. Context taken into account, I'll give him a C plus. 
I think there's a lot to address. Yeah, I went with a B plus, and that's because I think the important distinction here between is we're grading it for the draft and not the and not the team. Jordan's team is not the best. I think he's like lower to mid, but this was with like easily the worst keeper pool. He went from like the worst keeper pool to like a fairly well rounded team, which is not the easiest thing to do. Uh, and for the most part, I think there was a there was kind of a good mix of of safety early, upside late. But there were, I mean, there were a couple picks I didn't like. You've convinced yeah, me. I'll bump it up to a B minus. Yeah, I, I just think I think context is kind of important here. <laughs> for the same yeah. reason, like you said, we're knocking Brendan. I think that um, th- this was probably close to the best case scenario for what Jordan could have hoped for coming out of the draft. Yeah, and if you think about where my keeper pool was last year and the draft that I had, like. I mean, Mondesi in the third, we all remember. And I, I went back after this draft and looked at my week one roster from last season. And, oh, oh, I remember being like a little offended when Nate said he thought my team was a bottom two team. But obviously I was going to be offended as my team. But looking back, oh, oh, that was that was a rough time. So, yeah, props to Jordan for, for taking well is considered the worst keeper pool and you know having a good draft around it at least one final note on jordan's team is he seemingly like just for at least his early round picks were like all guys he had last year which i found really amazing so um let's bring it back yeah finally are we get to the end of the draft uh league villain nick Andres. uh let's talk about his draft um Nate, do you want to start off this one, or are we just going to keep? We just have no. Like a I'll start game. it off. I'll okay. I will uh, start it off. Nick had a number of good picks. I narrowed it down to three. I like Gabriel Moreno in the fifteenth round. I think that his skill set will land somewhere between Cabert Ruiz and Alejandro Kirk. I think that he brings a very similar plate approach. Uh, to be determined whether he leans more closely toward the Cabert Ruiz outcome, which is currently on waivers, or Alejandro Kirk, who is a borderline top five catcher in our format, even with the emergence of some stars like Adley Rutschman, already established stars like Real Muto and Will Smith. Um, but I, I, nonetheless, I like that pick in the 15th round. Miles Michaelis, one of the Mount Rushmore slash Golden Girls slash Four Horsemen in the 19th round, eight rounds after the first of those went off the board. And we've already touched on Jose Abreu. I think he was a much better value in the seventh round with a similar offering to Vinny Pasquantino, who was taken in the fourth round. My bad picks, which this one might come as a surprise because I know a lot of people in the industry like him, but Ryan Helsley in the 11th round. I saw something in the past week and a half where they have concerns with him being able to pitch on back-to-back days, and that would seem to me to really cap the upside of a closer on a really good team. So for as good as Ryan Helsley was last year, I don't like that pick based on operating under the assumption that he might not be able to pitch on back-to-back days. That seems very problematic. And Luis Severino, I get what Nick was trying to do with this pick. He was trying to take the value. He felt like he had to stop the fall here after it came out that Luis Severino had, I want to say it's an oblique strain, like a low-grade oblique strain. But I also saw... And I don't even really need to see something to to kind of confirm this belief, but I saw that he had the same strain last year, same grade. It was a very low grade oblique strain, 
They kept him out from mid-July through the end of September. That's like half the season. So just didn't like the Luis Severino pick there. But no ugly picks for me from Nick's team. Everyone go ahead. Uh, yeah, I actually like the Helsley pick. But, I mean, that that tidbit that you shared that they don't like him pitching in back-to-back days, that does hurt a little bit for me. Um going into it i i was kind of i was a little higher on him just because um the reason to be low on him generally was he was really good last year but was still splitting saves with gallegos um again that tidbit kind of kind of would explain why and if if that continues this year maybe that hurts um but in our format, since you get points for holds, it it wasn't. I didn't think it hurt him that much. But if he's just not gonna pitch the second day, that that changes things. Here you go. Helsley was only allowed to pitch in eight back-to-backs in 2022, and in the previous season, previous season only five. Well, maybe he can. And in a quick to... in a quick Twitter search of the keywords Helsley back to back, there are a ton of Cardinal fans that complain about him not being able to pitch on back to back nights, or if he does, he's not nearly as effective. That is mm-hmm. in the second tweet of my Helsley back to back keyword search. Well, I mean, that sucks for Helsley if that's going to be the case this year. So, I, I think that's a good case. Maybe I'll just remove him like I did for Mike. Uh, I had Walker Bueller, I think was a a good pick in the 16th round. He's, he's going to be good, good, either a good guy to keep around yourself at the end of the year, a good trade bait, uh, near the deadline. Um, the bad picks I had, I had Michaelis. I just think I don't want to pick the boring pitchers. I know it was the 19th round, but eh, I just, I'd just rather take someone with better upside than Michaelis. Um, I also had uh, the ugly pick I had for him, and I could be persuaded maybe against this as bad instead of ugly, but Miguel Vargas in the fifth round I think was just too early. I I think he should have gone more around um, like Jordan Walker and Volpe and, and Casas. I wanted to put him as a bad pick because I was targeting him in the seventh round, but I couldn't bring myself to almost what I feel would be contradictory of saying this guy was a target for me and Nick taking him before he could make it to me. Because keep in mind, Nick had a six-round keeper with Emmanuel Classe, um, and I would have had a seventh-round pick before him. So if Nick didn't take him there, he was not getting him. So I was on the verge of saying that that was a bad pick because that is pretty early for Miguel Vargas, a fifth-round pick. But if he didn't take him there, he wasn't going to get him. So I can't call that a bad pick, just from my my point of view, personally. No, I can understand that. Um, I mean, he's he should get second. I, I don't hate the pick. I think he's, again, he should go around where like Volpe and, and Walker went. Um, and he should get second base eligibility this year with the Dodgers, which is a which is a big plus. Um, but yeah, just a little too early for me. Didn't like it. All right, I I kind of agree with Nate on 
Ryan Helsley. Because, um, like, Jared, when you said that we still get three points for holds, we get zero points for not pitching. So I don't know that necessarily – like, I don't think that he's going to be used in non-save situations like like holds or, or where he would get holds. I just think he's not even going to pitch. So I – um even though he was in that that tier last that you know that really good reliever tier last year, I don't necessarily know that he's going to stick with it this year. Um, Jose Abreu, I won't touch more on him, but I did like that pick. Moreno was another one I really liked. Uh, Walker Bueller, again, just to reiterate names, I guess. Um, I did not like the Miguel Vargas pick there, Nate. I get what you're saying about. It wouldn't make it back to him, but it is kind of in the same boat where if you take him there, there's not really much room for profit. I get that Miguel Vargas has a skill set that is very well equipped for our league, but it's just when you take him there, like he has to hit his absolute ceiling for him to be worth that cost, I guess. And I, I, get, I think the the opportunity cost of picking somebody else there was, um, I guess, was higher than I would. It was high, yeah. I I don't disagree with you guys calling him a bad pick in the fifth round. I was just saying why I I felt like I would have been a hypocrite to say that he was a bad pick when I wanted to take him shortly thereafter. Relatively, yeah, I get it. I don't thereafter. I don't think it was egregious or anything like that. That's perfectly defensible. It's just um, I I think for me the it's just the opportunity cost of somebody else would have was too high. I'll give you another name though that um is a bad pick, and then I think for me that's Chris Bassett in the tenth. I know that he's normally very suit very well suited for our format, uh, but I don't like the situation at all. And he's sitting like three to four miles an hour, uh, down in the spring still, which is very very concerning. Um, he also is going to Toronto, where the Babips are usually very inflated. Uh, and I don't think that really fits his style real well. So I I could see kind of a crash for Chris Bassett this year. I think he's still going to like volume his way to being serviceable, but I would have definitely preferred somebody else at that point. Um, I'll throw out one more name. Sorry if I was cutting you off, but just no, as like one that we should all rally behind, which is Cabrian Hayes in the 12th round. I hope that this is the year that he finally breaks out as a hitter. I know that he's kind of like a sleeper pick amongst the fantasy, the, the greater fantasy baseball community. Let's all root for him actually realizing that sleeper potential this year. Oh, yeah. I, I want Cabrian Hayes to be like a good baseball player on both sides of the ball. Like so, so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's that's a good call, too. All right, let's go into grades. Nate, yeah. you can start since you started last time. So again, context in mind, Nick's first, so five of his first six picks were keepers. And then of course he had Quan in the 14th round through the expansion draft. I'm going to say that Nick is going to get a B plus. I think you could argue, you could sway me to an A minus, but I think that the offense looks more like it has no holes more so than it has a lot of upside. So I think the idea of playing for safety there is bumping me down from an A minus to what I'm going to land on it is a B plus. Everyone go ahead. Yeah, I, I just had a flat B. Pretty good, not amazing. 
I gave him an A minus. Um, and this, I think this is partially because I, in 2021, I drafted in like this exact same situation at the end and near the end of the draft with all of my picks, like right in a row, I write to begin the draft. And it's not hard. It's not easy to do. Um, it makes it kind of makes it hard to evaluate because all your early picks are gone before your team is kind of already set. And it, it's very difficult to evaluate. But I think that what Nick did well is he played into his strengths and um it's kind of the same deal that I said with you, Nate, where like Nick is Nick is whether we like it or not, when we don't like it sometimes, Nick is very good at trading. And he got a couple guys, even like Harley cannot quit Luis Severino. Um I am not huge on him personally, but somebody out there is, and that's really all that's important. Uh, same thing with Walker Bueller, except now more recent. I think this is, I think he has the, the, the capability to be a big time keeper, but like Nick gave himself plenty of ammo to defend. Now he's not going to be in the same, quite the same situation as, as you Nate, because because he um, has no keepers at if he, exactly. he, if he trades those guys away. So he's going to have to kind of choose. But I, I think that he's put himself in a pretty good position to be able to capitalize. And if he wants to extend the window, maybe like one more year, and really push it up, push all his chips on the table. He has the opportunity to do that and really gets the most back in most trades. So I, don't know, I think he did a good job. <laughs> I think he did a very good job. Um, only a couple head scratchers, but other than that, very good. Uh, Jake, it's a wave, not a window. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's correct. All right. That brings us to finally, at long last, to the end of the draft breakdown. I I get that this is really long, but, you know, we this is probably the most interesting topic we'll have the entire year. So I did not want to, you know, cut us, cut us short on anything. Um, that does mean, though, that there is very little content in the rest of the draft. We are only going to go through the week one predictions. We'll have a bonus podcast next week where Jerwin and I will uh, will titillate you with our spicing hot takes, um, where it's just basically a podcast full of uh, you know, old predictions. So let's go to the week one predictions. Um, let's just go with best matchup. We're going to try to fly through these since we're going really – since we've uh, – already gone so long give me your best matchup Nate uh best matchup a little bit of a bias pick but it's me versus Sam I believe it's the highest projected scoring matchup for week one especially now so that you guys have convinced me to bench not you didn't convince me to bench Trevor Rogers but you did convince me to start Tanner Houck uh and Trevor Rogers is the guy that gets the axe in place of him and so Sam and I are projected to score over 850 points in this first matchup. And so just by default, I'm going to say that'll be the most exciting one. I agree with you. Uh, Jerwin, what's your pick? I actually went with Jordan and uh, Nick with the, the championship rematch. Um, I think their teams are actually fairly evenly matched. Um. Yeah, I think it should be should be a tight matchup. All right, I'm going to go ahead with my thing to watch for, and that is will the lack of pitching depth hurt Brendan, or who in the world is will Brendan pick up to fill his three starting pitcher slots? Yeah, uh, I couldn't even help you here. Like you're, I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss here. So that's my thing to watch for. I'm genuinely interested to see who he picks up in streams. My thing to watch for is which opening day roster rookies are going to deliver on the hype, not just early, but like 
it's going to be really interesting to look back and see, you know, halfway through the season, end of season. There's a lot of guys here. Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, Miguel Vargas, Jordan Walker, Anthony Volpe, Oscar Colas, Jared Schuster, Dylan Dodd. I don't really think I missed anybody major, but that is a large group of players that I am very excited to watch. I, I think I have a share of every single one of these guys except for Jared Walker, or Jared, Jordan Walker. So I'm excited to watch this group. Yeah, and mine in a similar vein, kind of looking to see who are those early season breakouts, who are those late round draft picks that that sort of pop and and get recognized as potential keepers early in the season, um, and then after that, like how how many of the how many of them can sustain it. Um, I, I remember last year Eric Lauer looked really good in April and then fell off. Who's going to be the guy who like goes off and can someone give value for them before they fall off or will they fall off? That sort of thing. I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I just thought about earlier today the fact that I offered you guys Zach Gallen for Tyler McGill straight up in a dynasty league last year and you turned it down. Thank you. Thank you. You still you still ended up with with Tyler McGill, if I if I recall. Yeah, yes, that's right. I traded for him from you guys, I think, after he got hurt. But I was thinking about that earlier, and I was thinking, oh, my God, that would have been awful. <laughs> yeah, his velocity's down in the spring, and he's like, as he's competing for a rotation spot, and he's claiming that he's doing it on purpose. And it's like, he got option today, I think. I don't know if you saw that. But... Yeah, yeah, it's, come on, my guy. Like, it's just, it's, it's not happening for you. Matchup predictions. Here we go, boys. First set. All right. We are starting with our championship rematch. That is Nick versus Jordan. We got Jordan sucks. I'm picking Nick. I have Nick as well. I'll I'll go against the grain and say Jordan pulls it off. You couldn't uh, see his I face, Jordan, but it was a sympathy pick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next match. He's the Nate underdog, versus... but I'll take him. Nate versus Sam. I am taking Nate in this one. I also have Nate. Retweet plus one. I'm taking myself. Boo, Sam, you suck. All right, we're going to go to me versus Team C Deemer, except it is not my wife on the other side this time. Uh, I am going to pick my team here because historically I have wrecked that team. I am going to take Nick Lee, not really for rhyme or reason, but just because it would be a fun storyline for Nick Lee to get off to a hot start here. And I'm not even saying Nick Lee's team shouldn't have a chance to win. I think that it can go either way. So I'm just going to err on the fun side here. Take Nick Lee. I also took Jake. Not much to add, though. All right, moving on. We have Eddie versus Brendan. I am taking Eddie here because... Eddie versus the bye week. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I don't know who Brendan's going to have starting for him. Yeah, I think we're probably all on the same page here. Yeah, also Eddie. Eddie. Yeah, Brendan might have the three of us starting for him. So, uh, yeah. If it's wiffle ball, I've got him. Takes us to JC versus Jerwin. I have Jerwin in this one. I also have Jerwin in this one. Got to pick myself. Got to keep the vibes going. Sorry, JC. You get him. Our final, our final matchup. Mike versus Scott. I have Scott. 
That's all. I have Scott. <laughs> I also took Scott. I think he had a really good draft set and pretty good keepers as well. So uh, I like his team. I took Scott as well. I think I think Mike, for as much as he loves Scott and just gassing up anything that Scott does in fantasy, I have a feeling we might see Mike just bench his entire lineup to just give Scott the win. So I'm picking Scott in this first matchup. It's certainly be like a, a bold a bold strategy to see if that pays off. <laughs> All right, well that takes us to the end of the episode. Um, I know this was an absolute unit of a podcast, but. Uh, hopefully it was worth it for everybody. Uh, we went real in depth with our thoughts and, uh, we got some pretty, pretty good insights here. So, uh, thanks for coming on, Nate. I think you're heading back into retirement. If I'm not mistaken. For a little while for a little while. A little while. Yeah. Try to come any, around regularly if I can. Any closing thoughts? I do have one closing thought and, I mainly want to make the thought because I don't think that it's an apparent thought to anybody besides me and I don't know, maybe one or two other people who are who know who who even know who the guy is, but to toot my own horn just for a second, you know, I was the guy that drafted Blake Snell in 2018 in like the 23rd round, which was the year that he won the Cy Young. I was the guy that drafted Spencer Strider super, super, like obscenely late last year. And this year which, you know, you're not going to hit every year, but my guy for this year, the guy that I think is going to come out of nowhere and be an absolute unit of a keeper is Bryce Miller, pitching prospect for the Seattle Mariners. My bold prediction is that by season's end, or at least coming into next season, he is going to be looked at with higher regard than teammates Logan Gilbert and George Kirby. There you have it. That is the early, uh, the early bold prediction. I hope that that uh, just you know whets the appetite for what's going to come in our bonus podcast next week. That's where we're coming out swinging. We uh, love a Jer- good hot take. That's right, Jerwin. Any final thoughts here? Yeah, this was just a really fun. It was good to be a part of the the draft recap episode this year. It definitely is a really good one to be to be a part of. Definitely great content. I know the draft recaps in in years past, uh, having listened to them, really uh, really enhanced my own game. So hopefully uh, I can pay it forward, and someone someone hearing some of the the analysis we've done here today will uh, will uh, join Jordan and I and jake and nate obviously in in the world of research and and draft prep because it's it's a wonderful time draft prep is a lot of fun in in itself and also drafting when you have prepped is so much more fun (laughs) don't be so bashful jerwin i'm the one that gets to participate now this is your mantle now appreciate it nate all right. Well, that is all for us here today uh, for Jerwin and Nate. Hi, MJ. Uh, Nate, do you want to close this out with the with the old the old closing? The thing. Do the thing. The, the thing. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, guys. They will catch you on the next one. Eert.